Today, again, we'll have a briefer time in the Word in order to give us time to discuss those things that are before us today. Um, but I want us to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and in specific, I want us to kind of walk through verse 27. And so, uh, if you want, you can turn there, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27. And before we uh, dive into that more deeply, I want us to really consider what is the church? Uh, what is the nature of the church? And a simple de- definition that I've developed and used before is this. The church is the people of God gathered and empowered by the Holy Spirit whose head is Jesus Christ. So the church is the people of God gathered and empowered by the Holy Spirit whose head is Jesus Christ. And so to break that down here, the people of God, right? When we talk about the church, we're talking about a people. We're not talking about a building and we're not talking about a time of the week. Often we use the word in that language, right? We we use the, the word in that manner. We say, oh, I'm going to church and we mean I'm going to a building, I'm going to a location, or I'm going to church as I'm going to the 1030 a.m. service, right? Something like that. But when we talk about the church, when the scripture talks about the church, they're talking about a people, the people of God. Uh, We're not talking about programs. We're talking about a people. Uh, Paul actually opens up the book of 1 Corinthians, identifying that he is writing to the church, the people of God in Corinth. He says in 1 Corinthians 1, 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. And just as a side note there, uh, doesn't it seem, it's interesting there what Paul says when he writes the uh, Corinthians, he says, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we're talking about the church, we're talking about the people of God, and that's wherever they may be. Uh, We're talking about uh, the people who have been sanctified by God, not everybody in the city of Corinth, not everybody in the United States, not everybody in this world. There is a people of God and those who have been sanctified by God. That is who who we see Paul writing to. Uh, And even here in chapter 12, we have at the outset of it, in in verse 3, he says, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And so that is who we are. We are the, the people of God. So the church is, is the people, and it's bigger than any just one local expression. Right? That's what we would consider ourselves, right? We're one local expression of the people of God. So it's the church is the people of God gathered and empowered by the Holy Spirit. When we talk about the local church, we're talking about the people of God whom he has gathered in a specific place at a specific time. Uh, that, that is who we are as a church. Redeeming Grace Fellowship is who is here today and at this t- time, right? At this year, 2022. Uh, that is the year, right? So this is a this is a test, right? Doctor's test to see if you're oriented to uh, time. Uh, but right, we, we are the people of God today, now, here. And he has done this in his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit has brought us together. We are not here by accident. 
None of us are here by accident. We're here by the purpose of God and by His moving us in His Spirit. You and I, as we walk in obedience to God, will be here as long as God ordains us to be. That is who we are. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 4-7, he says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The Corinthians had a problem with division within the church, right? If we go back to the very opening uh, pages of it, there is this division within the church. Some say uh, that they follow after one person. Another say they follow after a different person. There's this division, this infighting, and Paul calls them to unity. And part of that unification we see is even here in this chapter that there is one spirit that unifies all of the Corinthian believers. It unifies all of us who are in Christ. We who are in Christ uh, have a basis for unity, and that part of that basis is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. We who are in Christ Jesus have been given spiritual gifts, and the spiritual gifts that we have been given, so we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, to what end? To use our gifts for the edification of the church. To use our gifts for the common good, as Paul says in verse 7 of this chapter. And though my gifting may be different than your gifting, all are necessary for the health and growth of the body of Christ. So if we want to be a healthy church, a growing church, we each have to play that which uh, the role that God has given unto us. We each have to be obedient to use the gift that God has given us in His Spirit. And so we are gathered and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So the church is the people of God, gathered and empowered by the Holy Spirit, whose head is Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, 22-23 says, And He that is the Father put all things under His, that is the Son's, feet, and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church is the body of Christ, and there is one head. That's Jesus. It's not a pope setting himself up in Rome, right? There is one head to the church, and it is Jesus. It's not me. It's not any pastor. There is one head to the body of Christ, and that is Christ himself. It's his body. He is the one who leads and guides it. He's the good shepherd. And my role is under shepherd, right? That I follow, my goal is to follow Christ and to lead in the the way that Christ directs. When considering what it is our church fellowship should be about, it must always be in the context of what does Jesus say? What does the scripture say? What is Christ commanded? Many a church goes, runs, runs amok, runs afoul because they fail to do the one thing that they are commanded to do in the scripture, right? To, to be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. They invent many things and many things which may be good, but they fail to be obedient 
to Jesus. And so it's incumbent upon us to be obedient to Jesus. He is the head of this church. There is no other head. So, uh, we have to do what Christ has commanded, ordained, ordered, and instructed us to do. So the church is the people of God, gathered and empowered by the Holy Spirit, whose head is Jesus Christ. And so, secondly, I want us to see the church as the body of Christ. So I want us to consider this verse in detail, verse 27 of chapter 12. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So, he says first, you who trust in Jesus Christ are the body of Christ. Paul here instructs in this passage that we are together the body of Christ. There is a unity between believers, no matter who they are, where they are, what their social situation is, what their ethnic heritage is. If they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, they are the body of Christ. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are the body of Christ. That's what we are seeing here right now. You are the body of Christ. All Christians everywhere are the body of Christ. And notice that that's important for us to realize too. What does Paul say? He says, he says in verse 27, now you are the body of Christ. He doesn't say you are a body of Christ when he writes to the Corinthians. You are the body of Christ. Paul says we are Christ's body. Christ is not our body. You are not the body. Jesus Christ is the body and it is his head that leads it, right? He directs and leads it. He orchestrates its members. And all of this to say is that the church is much bigger than any one individual. In our day and age, in our culture, right? what is hallmark of American culture is an individualism that says, I am the most important. In the church, it's not so. You are not the most important. Christ is the most important. We gather to worship our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the most important. You are not unimportant. I am not unimportant. But Christ is the most important. Let us make sure we don't uh, head into the individualism of our culture. Uh, We serve one another. Uh, Paul tells us in Philippians, right? Consider one another as more important than yourselves. Looking not only to your own affairs, but also to the needs of others. And that's the Dale paraphrase version. Go look it up in Philippians 2 later. So the church is much bigger than any one individual. We can get this idea that the church exists for us individually, that the church's activities and services and programs exist to serve us. They don't. And understand, again, this is an issue that we see in the broader American church is that we, we, we build the church like we do McDonald's or Burger King or any of another number of retailers, right? That, that we, we kind of treat the church as a retail outlet that is here to serve the needs of its customers. The church does not have customers. The church has worshipers. The church is not a retail location here to provide goods and services. The church is here to worship. 
So I want us to make sure we understand that, right? This, when we talk about being the body of Christ, we're talking about something greater than ourselves, bigger than ourselves. The church exists to glorify God. We exist to bring God the glory due His name. Uh, and understand too, as much as this is the goal of the church corporately, it's the, it should be our goal individually, right? We exist, you exist, to give God the glory due His name. You exist to worship God. What happened in the fall in the, in the Garden of Eden, right? What happened when sin entered the world is that goal was twisted. We lost the object of our worship, God, and instead we became the object of our worship, or we let other things become the object of our worship. Everybody worships something. Everybody worships something. The atheist worships something because he was created to worship. It's just not God, who he, who he is to worship, who he was created to worship, who he is commanded to worship. So one of the questions individually is, what are you worshiping? And if you want a, a reference of how to figure that out, a, a way to evaluate that, um, what do you spend the most time thinking about? What do you spend the most money on? What do you spend the most of your day concerned with? Uh, an, another way to, to figure that out is if God were to take X away from you, how would you feel? If God were to call you to get rid of X, what would you do? So, for instance, if God said, I want you to get rid of TV, I don't want you to have a TV in your household for the rest of your life. Does that like make your skin crawl? You might be worshiping TV a little bit. Or probably you know, more, more apropos to, to uh, our culture uh, and to a younger generation, God says, I don't want you to have a smartphone ever in your life. It's a, it's a terrible device that, will, that you are worshiping and I want you to get rid of it. Does that make your skin crawl a little bit? Is that like tense, tense you up? You might be worshiping it. So uh, that, that's an aside, though. We, we are called to worship God. And if we fail to give him the worship he rightly deserves, if we sin against him, then his holiness demands recompense, repayment. So what this means for us as a, us as a church is that we are a small part of the larger body of Christ. We have our role to play in bringing God honor and glory and worship here in Maysville. We exist to worship God. How are we going to do that? What is that going to look like for us uh, particularly? We have certain giftings and talents. How are we going to use them to worship our God? So first, uh, we saw we see there that you who trust in Jesus Christ are the body of Christ. And secondly, I want us to see you who trust in Jesus Christ are individually members of the body of Christ. So right, what Paul says here, the, generally of the church, he also wants to show that the church is particularly made up of individuals, right? Uh, look at verse 27, right? Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So it's not as though the body of Christ is this impersonal thing. Right? The body of Christ is not impersonal. It's personal. It's made up of people. 
It's not some amorphous blob out there that we call the church. It's a body of Christ is made up of individual members. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are a member of the body of Christ. If you have trusted in Christ, you have a role to play in his body. Paul goes on in verse 28 and following to describe some of those roles, some of those giftings, right? That's what he's talking about at the very outset of this chapter. He says, now, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about spiritual gifts. I don't want you to be uninformed about what God is working in you for the edification of the the people of God. You have a spiritual gift given for the common good. You have a role to serve in the body of Christ. Romans 12, 4-8 says it this way, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually, listen to this, members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. We, though many, are one body in Christ. And again, I think it's significant, Paul says, and individually members of one another. That there is a unity here. Go to, go to John chapter 17 in Jesus' high priestly prayer. We see Jesus prays and says, May they be one even as you, Father, and I are one. And again, that's the Dale paraphrase, so go read that later. But, but isn't that significant, right? Think about that. What is the unity between God the Father and God the Son? What is that unity like? And he says, may those who believe in me, who worship you, Father, may they be one, even as you and I are one. What does that unity look like in the body of Christ? We, though many, are one body in Christ, and we have a responsibility to Christ, and we also have a responsibility to one another. Listen, your use of your spiritual gift is for the common good. So what does that indicate? If you fail to use your spiritual gift, if you fail to use that which God has given you, you're working against the common good, not for it. You have a responsibility to each one around you to use your spiritual gift. It's for my good when you use your spiritual gift. And by God's grace, it's for your good when I use my spiritual gift. Right? As we study this scripture, uh, we, we see that we have a responsibility to one another. When we walk through the book of 1 Thessalonians, we saw that, didn't we? Uh, for instance, in chapter 5, verse, four, uh, verse 14, it says, And we urge you, brothers, here's our responsibility to one another, uh, at least in this particular instance in 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. Isn't that interesting? That's, that's your job. That's your responsibility. If you are in Christ, that's, that's your calling. That's a command. Do this. So then, 
When we talk about this local, local expression of the body of Christ, the question for you is, how will you glorify God? How will you serve the body of Christ? And again, what spiritual gifts do you have by which you can serve the body of Christ? And we might ask the question, well, how do we figure out spiritual gifts? Well, there are some ways to do that. Um, there are some testing inventories of what they call spiritual gift inventories that you could take that, that maybe uh, might clue you into that. And if you do want something like that, I, I have one uh, that is quite comprehensive. I've made some of you uh, take it, and it was quite the quiz. Uh, but I think it was helpful. So th- those are our helpful guides. Um, the, the other reality is what, what gives you joy when you're serving in the church? Um, what, what motivates you? What, what fills you with passion as you think about those things? And sometimes the best way to find out if you have a spiritual gift in an area or not is to do it. And you'll find out. Right? So, so I know growing up, I had all this anxiety about, well, what's my spiritual gift? How do I figure it out? How, what is it this, that, or, or the other? And the, the best advice I, I wish I would have received is do something and you'll figure out whether or not you're gifted and called of God to do that. Now, there are some limitations to that. We want to be careful in some of those things. Uh, but by and large, I think that's uh, helpful. So you who trust in Jesus Christ are individually members of the body of Christ. And lastly, I want us to understand that you who don't trust in Christ are separated from God. You are not the church. You are not the body of Christ. So when we talk about those who, who don't believe in Christ, they're not part of the church. Again, one of the failures of the modern American church is that we have invited into the ranks of the church those who are not the church. We have failed to practice uh, regenerate church membership, which is a theological fancy way to say making sure that those who are part of the body of Christ are part of the body of Christ as best as we can understand. Part of that includes the issue of church discipline. We have failed to practice church discipline. And we don't practice it to to, uh, be haughtier, to be judgmental, to say, I'm better than you. No, we practice it because we care about the souls of those who who we say are part of Christ who are not living in the manner of Christ, right? Who are not living in obedience to Christ. And so we have failed those within the church uh, who are actually outside of the church. And I'm sorry about speaking perhaps a bit too much in code there. But those who are not of the body of Christ are not of the body of Christ, which sounds like a stupid uh, stupid way to say it, simple way to say it, but I'm a stupid, simple man, so there you go. Uh so, so we have to understand this, right? This is, this is fundamental that only those who are in, in Christ are part of the body of Christ. Of those who have been saved, the scripture says in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But let's render this for those who are outside of Christ. In Ephesians 2, 1-3, through 3, 
and you are dead in the trespasses and sins in which you now walk, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in you, the sons of disobedience, living in the passions of your flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and in the mind, and are by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. If you do not trust in Christ, you are alienated from God. You are alienated from the members of the church. You are alienated from the body of Christ. It is good that you are here. It is good that you are hearing this. But if you do not turn to Christ, if you do not repent and turn from your sin, you will suffer the wrath of God for your sins. You will serve out the punishment of your sins from a holy uh, by a holy God for all eternity. You cannot enjoy, you cannot truly enjoy the benefits of the body of Christ without being a member of the body of Christ. And that only happens if you repent of your sins and trust in Christ. And if you do that, you will be joined to a body of believers with the only Savior as its head, and you will finally begin to be able to live out your God-created purpose, worship. Let us pray. O Father in heaven, great and glorious, God, as we consider that birth that you gave us in creating us, creating uh, life in us, And as we consider that which you have done in creating new life in us by your spirit, that you have given us a new birth and you have birthed us into a body of believers, the body of Christ, that we may glorify you. Father, that when you saved us, you didn't just save us and cast us out as individuals to, to make our own way in the world, but you have gathered us together. And your purpose is to gather us together into a community of believers, into a fellowship of the saints, that we may worship you, that we may serve one another for the common good, that we may glorify your name and to stir one another up to love and to good works, that we may come alongside one another when we have burdens and to bear one another's burdens. Father, that we would give you glory and that we would encourage one another to that end. And so, Father, please, we pray that you would do that work in us, work in us here now, that you would, uh, that you would be glorified in, in what we do and what we say, what we sing, what we preach and teach. Father, for the sake of your kingdom, for the sake of those around us who do not know you, who are dead in their sins and trespasses, who are even now following after the, the devil himself in disobedience to you. Oh, Father, we pray we would be bold to proclaim that message of reconciliation that you have given unto us, that we would be bold to proclaim the forgiveness that is possible only through the work of Christ Jesus. Father, that we would exalt our risen Lord and Savior in every way, that we would live exemplary lives and speak words of grace. Oh, Father, help us. And we pray, Lord, that your spirit would go before us and and prepare hearts to receive your word. And Father, that your spirit would even now begin the work of regeneration and renewal, the work that causes that new life to be birthed 
that causes the scripture to be understood and believed and trusted. Father, do that work which only you can do. And Father, help us to be obedient to do that work which you command us to do, call us to do. We pray, Father, that you would be honored and glorified in all these things. For you are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of the worship of every single person living and breathing on this earth. And so to that end, we seek to call others to you. O Father, be near, we pray. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.